Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to another cameo episode. These short episodes will be slotted in between the other ones and will cover people who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode of their own, but they are too interesting to abandon completely, and they fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today, Sir Christopher Erswick? Yes. Never heard yep. of him. You must have done. No. He's one of these, one of these splat the rat ones. <laughs> you, know, you know, the ones that you think... In Canada, in Canada, that's whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole. <laughs> Splat the rat. <laughs> yeah, he's one of the, he pops up, you think, oh, good, lots of information about him. And then there's a sentence and then he disappears again. And you oh, say, oh, right, what? right. But I'm sure you will re- recognise him. Okay. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of information about him. I scoured all my books and I've included all I came across, which is pitiful considering he was a major player. <laughs> But, you know, don't switch off. It is still interesting. Uh, He was born in 1448. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) His parents were lay brother and sister of Furness Abbey. Lay brother and sister? Oh, oh, so they lived in the Abbey and did work there, but they weren't actually a monk or a nun. Yes. Okay. Although I thought that would probably push Christopher along the religious path if he's been brought up in a monkery. Yeah. In 1482, Erswick entered Margaret Beaufort's life, possibly via her third husband, Thomas Stanley. Okay. He became Margaret's chaplain and confessor. How does he get so well connected right off the get-go? Well, there's obviously a big gap there. Yeah. (laughs) He must have been up to something. Must have been impressive. He was described as, quote, an honest, approved and serviceable priest, unquote, (laughs) which is... Okay, I suppose. <laughs> okay, honest, good. Approved yeah. by whom? I don't know. And serviceable. <laughs> serviceable. You're not fantastic, but you'll do. <laughs> High praise indeed. Very much, yes. He must have, must have been absolutely thrilled with that. <laughs> Margaret also gave him the rectory of Putnam in Hertfordshire, and I came across a rather wonderful three-part fictional rendition of Erswick's life on the Putnam in Hertfordshire website. Really? And it's rather touching because to read the story, you'd assume that Erswick's time in Putnam was the highlight of his life. (laughs) (laughs) And certainly the most important time. It's only as you read on that you realise that he was only rector there for two years and actually only visited the place three times. And the third time was to to hand it over to his successor. (laughs) (laughs) But according to this story, forever after, he would say that such and such a building reminded him of the beautiful church at Putnam and the happy time he'd spent there. Oh, I wonder nice, if he I did. Th- well, yeah. <laughs> didn't spend much time there. They might have been happy, but it wasn't long. <laughs> but, yeah, people are like that about their own village and town, aren't they? You think, yes. oh, well, he came to Putnam. He must have loved it here. Yes. I do. <laughs> We've also heard in Bray's episode... How working for Margaret at this time meant acting a spy and go-between yes. during the Buckingham Rebellion and when that failed, with a plan to crown her son. I put here son Henry, but I think by this point people probably know who her son was. <laughs> George. Mar- <laughs> Margaret had intended to send Erswick with a message to Henry. This is when Henry was in Brittany. Ooh. 
But then she heard of Buckingham's plans and decided to send Hugh Conway instead. I'm not sure if he felt he was more expendable. <laughs> but we know Hugh Conway. Yes. He was the one who tried to tell Henry that Francis Lovell was planning to sneak out of sanctuary mm -hmm. and then felt that he was being set up as the baddie because Henry didn't believe him. Yes, even though he was right. <laughs> yeah. And then we met him at Sir Richard Namfan's house advising anyone who'd listen not to bother to tell Henry anything. But anyway, while Conway was smoozing with Henry, Erswick made several trips to Flanders to negotiate the marriage between Henry and Elizabeth of York, once they'd been given the go-ahead by Elizabeth Woodville. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why he had to go to Flanders to do this. I don't know, because isn't that where Margaret of York is? Yeah. Yeah, Burgundy, Flanders. Mm, I couldn't... Uh, that seems like a bad idea. Oh, well, at this point, Margaret of York isn't evil. <laughs> well... From our point of view. No, but but she still she still wouldn't want Henry to marry her niece. Yeah, no. niece. No. I wouldn't have no. thought. No, I well, don't know what he was why in Flanders. It's hard to say, because I've also discovered that Margaret Beaufort and Margaret of York were cousins. <laughs> so technically they come from the same stock. <laughs> so maybe that would have been a reasonable thing. Who knows? Because Edward the Fourth at one point suggested the marriage. He did. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. maybe it wasn't such an odd thing to do. But the whole purpose, unless they didn't tell Margaret of York this, the whole purpose of Henry and Elizabeth marrying <laughs> was, was to so take that Henry over the become country. king. Yeah, <laughs> get rid of her brother. <laughs> We're just following the king's instructions. Just be quiet. Yeah. So I don't know why he went to Flanders to do this. But he was in Brittany too, although he wasn't there all the time. He was obviously more useful as someone who could buzz about between England, Flanders and Brittany. Hmm. So, which is what he did. Maybe he didn't suffer from seasickness, so they thought, oh, send, send yeah. Chris. And he spoke every language. Probably. And, and he obviously went to the north of England, um, since he was sent there to try to coax Henry Percy into the rebellion. But if you remember, he couldn't find him. Right. And he didn't dare leave the, the message for anybody, somebody else. somebody else. No, yes. that would be stupid. <laughs> it would. And he doesn't come across as stupid. Could, could, you, could you hand this to him, but never <laughs> open it? Don't look at it. Yes. Don't give it to it's anybody else. It's very boring. It yes. will, you'll be very bored. Don't yes. look at it. Yes. <laughs> In 1484, Erswick was sent by John Morton to warn Henry that the man who had taken over Brittany while the Duke was ill, Pierre Londois, was in league with Richard III, and that sounds bad, doesn't it? In league with, yes. automatically turns evil, to surrender Henry and Uncle Jasper in exchange for English protection of Brittany. And this always makes Landois sound like some moustache-twirling villain, doesn't yeah. it? But actually, it makes a lot of sense for Brittany. They needed protection. I mean, who were these Tudors anyway? Yeah. Why not send them home? Yeah. I'm sure, that, I'm sure they'd be fine anyway. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> And if something does happen, it's in England. It's not here. Yes. <laughs> Just don't tell us about it and make us feel yes. guilty. Well, Erswick stayed with Henry as his chaplain and confessor. So that's another example of Henry accepting his mother's judgment as to whom to have around him. Yes. When things got too hot for Henry in Brittany, Erswick was one of the few people who accompanied Henry on his flight to France. Because Henry left most of his people behind. By that time, I think there were about 200 of them, weren't there? Yeah. And there was it only a handful. But there was only a handful of people who made this this uh, escape mm -hmm. from Brittany, and Erswick was one of them. 
professors are important, I suppose. But they pretended they were going for a little jaunt with a few friends, and when they were safely hidden by the woods, they changed into servants' clothes and got the hell out of Brittany as fast as they could. <laughs> Run! Landois' men were hot on their heels, and they only just managed to cross over to France in time. Or, Erswick had been sent on ahead to the French court to check that their arrival would be welcome. So I read both. So, mm. take your pick. Erswick was still with Henry when he landed at Milford Haven, and he marched up through Wales with him. And I wondered, when Henry surreptitiously met with the Stanleys, was Erswick there? Because he, he already knew the Stanleys, he'd worked for Thomas... So it would make sense, but unfortunately, we don't know who was there or what was said. Oh. But Shakespeare does. Oh. Rich III, Act 4, Scene 5, Enter Derby, that's uh, Thomas Stanley, and Sir Christopher Erswick. Okay, you, you, you be Derby. I am Derby. And I'll be Erswick. Okay. I am not good at acting. Sir Christopher, tell Richmond this from me. That in the sty of this most bloody boar, my son George Stanley is franked up in the hold. If I revolt, off goes young George's head. The fear of that withholds my present aid. But tell me, where is the princely Richmond now? At Pembroke, or at Halford West in Wales. What men of name resort to him? Sir Walter Herbert, a renowned soldier. Sir Gilbert Talbot. Sir William Stanley. Oxford, Redoubtable Pembroke, Sir James Blunt, and Resat Thomas with a valiant crew, and many more of noble fame and worth, and towards London they do bend their course, if by the way they be not fought withal. Return unto thy lord, commend me to him. Tell him the queen hath heartily consented. He shall espouse Elizabeth her daughter. These letters will resolve him of my mind. Farewell. Well, the Queen had heartily consented this quite a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, all those Yorkists wouldn't have followed him into Not Wales. At all. I was wondering, it's like, okay, now I'm going to tell you the Queen says yes. Um, didn't she a long time ago, yes. Margaret and the doctor? Yeah, did, did nobody tell Thomas this? And he thought, <laughs> oh, I'll pass on the news. And everyone said, oh, good, good. Don't tell him, it'll upset him. <laughs> But that was Erswick's 15 minutes of Shakespearean fame. So. <laughs> well, that immortalises him. It does. Yeah, I'd like to bet lots of people look at um, Richard III and think, who's the hell Sir Christopher yes. Erswick? <laughs> <laughs> As we know, Henry rewarded those who stuck with him. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I like the most about Henry. He didn't neglect the people. I don't know, I suppose in some way you could look at it as cronyism but and it did cause resentment didn't it from the people who didn't who, who didn't go with him because, yes <laughs> well who would i mean i wouldn't follow someone to a different country in fact on the no. off chance they might become king yes especially when they've already got an attainder over them and they're going to be executed if they ever show up in england yeah so yes you kind of would appreciate those who took that risk because it's a huge risk it is a huge risk, yeah, especially if you know they were they were ostensibly on the other side. They were Yorkists. They were should yes. have been Richard's men. Yes. Well, Erswick straight away became the king's almoner, and that's someone who was in charge of giving money to the poor. 
And I could go through all the religious posts he was given. Prebend of St Stephen's, Westminster, Rector of All Hallows, London, something in Kidderminster up in the Midlands, the Dean of Windsor, which involved a dispute mediated by Edward Poynings. But it wouldn't mean much to most people, and there were so many of them. Oh, dear. So you did a quarter of them. <laughs> did you do any of them? I don't know. Sinecures. I mean, presumably he wasn't quite as busy when he was, uh, he had Putnam in Hertfordshire and he'd only went there three times. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it was such a <laughs> lovely time. <laughs> but one of the first things granted to him were all the goods and chattels of felons and all deodans falling to the crown. Now I had to look this up. Deodans are either things given to God or an object or instrument that becomes forfeited because it has caused a person's death. Ah. Which makes you wonder, what did Erswick do with this stuff? And did he actually want any of it? Ah, well, the chattels, yes, that's a great thing. Because you just got yeah. land and all property, including like bulls and everything. They, they counted everything at that point mm. in time. And, and here, this is, this is the anvil that fell on that small child's head. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, yeah, no. Unless he was opening some sort of creepy museum or something. (laughs) Don't ask what happened with this and it'll be fine. Especially since how superstitious they were about spirits and ghosts. Well, I know that Paracelsus, who was sort of the father of medicine, really, when it stopped being crazy medicine and started being only fairly crazy medicine. (laughs) Um, But one of the things he did was... He'd bind the wound, but he'd also bind the sword that had made the wound. Yes. Because it had some sort of sympathetic bond with the wound it had made. So he wasn't that sane, his his thinking. But yeah, so maybe, maybe the idea is you take all these things away, you put them somewhere safe. And so they can't release their sympathetic evil. I don't know. I don't know. I must look into that. I've only just thought of that. Perhaps I should have thought of that before we pressed record. (laughs) You'd have to pay for that. So he'd be getting something for free, but paying for somebody to bind it or just not binding it and just not telling people that you're selling it to. Oh, I don't know. The superstition in there. This is good. This is a perfect time to talk about it. We're almost at Halloween. (laughs) Halloween 2023. Yes. (laughs) I love Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've said here more interesting were the embassies he was sent on, but actually I'm not sure they were. I think that was quite interesting. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> and as with many of the people we've covered, they were a disparate bunch of missions that he was sent on. In February 1485 to 6, he was envoy to Pope Innocent VIII. And I don't know why it's 85 to 6. In the article about him in the Oxford National Dictionary of Biography, all the dates are listed as two consecutive years. Maybe someone could couldn't decide why. <laughs> when did they make that? When did they make that book? What the, the article? List? Yeah, I don't know. It won't be that old. So then, they, could it be because they changed from the Julian calendar to the Georgian calendar after that? So the year. Flipped? No, I mean, no, this is a recent article. Hmm. I don't know why it has two. That's an unusual thing to do. Hmm. All the way through. 
that's irritating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know it doesn't it doesn't come across that much for when we're talking. Well, maybe not. But I desperately need those dates for framework because yeah, we're inserting so many other people that if you don't have that framework, you end up muddling where and who and what is yeah. going on. Yes, which is why if you look on our website, I've made a timeline yes. and I add to it after every episode. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Partly, <laughs> partly for us. Yes. <laughs> but also, I do like to see what's happening at the same time because I remember the day after or the day before the Battle of Blackheath was the day that Juan Borgia got stabbed and shoved in a river yes. and I thought and I found that quite gratifying for some reason I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> later that year whichever year it was he was in Lancashire putting down some discontent there and in 1487 to 8 he was in Spain negotiating the marriage between Catherine of Aragon and Arthur I'm not sure if he was with, he was there at the same time as Sir Richard Namfan, because of course I can't tell, because we've got two separate years <laughs> to do it. But a lot of people seem to have gone over to negotiate this wedding, but it did go on and on, didn't it? That, and they did send not just one person. It would be a whole host of people, usually. We speculated that Ferdinand was sending two ambassadors over, or two embassies, mm -hmm. um, um, legates over, just in case something happened to one. Yes. But apparently... They were actually intended to keep an eye on each other. That's why you sent two. Well, of course they were. It's Ferdinand. <laughs> he doesn't trust not, anybody. Not just Ferdinand. No, it wasn't Ferdinand. I read this from, from it. It was something else. But um, they, yes, that was the point of them. They were to send back information, not just on, but on how the, the other country behave. that they've gone to. But yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You don't trust anybody. So, yeah, and they certainly didn't trust poor old De Puebla because they sent loads of people. Oh, to goodness. Yes. <laughs> and him. But, at the same time, that's smart because we know now how eyewitness accounts are so wrong. You have yeah. to have corroboration from several eyewitnesses in order to actually get an accurate picture of items. Mm, that's true. So maybe they realized that way back when and just sent lots of people. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. True. A couple of months later, he was off to Brittany to mediate between Brittany and France. And his initial remit was to offer Brittany and France England as mediator. That way, thought Henry, I don't have to upset anyone. But Louis of Orléans, later Louis XII, who was in Brittany, said, no, no, no. He <laughs> wanted England to come down firmly on the side of Brittany. He was already in love with Anne. And France just made use of this delay to keep hammering Nantes. And incidentally, Erswick was in France trying to sort this out at the same time that Sir Richard Edgecombe was doing the same thing in Brittany. Yes, poor Brittany. Yes. Henry reluctantly decided that he couldn't help Brittany, although he was torn. He sent out a proclamation saying that no one, on pain of death, was allowed to leave England to protect Brittany. Edward Woodville didn't agree with Henry and set off with a group of men. Yes. <laughs> Well, he remembered how much help they got from Brittany at a time when Henry was nobody. Yes. So Henry was doing the decent thing, but it did make it, did make it difficult because the French were understandably annoyed at this since it appeared that Henry was siding with Brittany. And he might have, to be honest. The way he was working, it could have been wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I won't look for you for a couple of months. I think that's quite possible. I think, yeah. 
I mean, we know we know how he works, and yes. I think I, from what I've read on on uh, Woodville's side, yes, he wasn't all this on pain of death thing didn't happen to him. It was so. very much suggested by a few of the historians that I read for our Patreon episode on Anna Brittany. Ah, was well, that Patre- Patreon? You say <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> Tudoriferous Patreon. I wear nothing else. Yes, that Henry said, I couldn't actually, I couldn't possibly get involved. Henry, mm. go, go quick. Yes. <laughs> but you said, but you said, no, just go. go. Just go, go. <laughs> we'll find out that you have left later when it's too late to come get you. <laughs> Polydor Virgil said, quote, the English ambassadors began to be fearful for their safety, unquote. And one of those ambassadors was Christopher Erswick. Because Henry sent a letter to France to tell them that Woodville was a loose cannon. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> but we know he is gone. He's packing right now. He hasn't left yet. You need to get out of there before he arrives. I remember reading that. <laughs> it's like the letter that he was a loose cannon left before the loose cannon ad. Right. It was just delayed delivery. <laughs> well, luckily, it seems to have done the trick because uh, Charles must have forgiven them since <laughs> that autumn, Erswick was back in the French court. <laughs> March 1491, or two, he was heading up north to James IV to receive ratification for the Treaty of Peace with Scotland. Also in 1491, or two, Henry decided to invade France. He put it off for a while, set off, came back, <laughs> put it off a bit longer. Got paid money. <laughs> well, one of the main reasons for the delay was that he might have been hoping that Maximilian would give him a hand. Mm. And to that end, he sent Erswick, along with Risley, to have a little word with Maximilian. I can't believe anybody relied on Maximilian. Well, <laughs> Henry didn't for long, did he? No, he was smarter. But then Maximilian <laughs> relied on Henry, and Henry didn't bother to turn up, so... Oh, true. Well, they report, Erswick and Risley reported that it was no-go, since the king of the Romans was, quote, and I love this, quote... Saw sick of a flux of the purse, unquote. <laughs> he's Which skint. I presume is his skin, He is as broke as broke can be. <laughs> Saw sick of a flux of the purse. Isn't oh that wonderful? Oh my goodness. I need to use that. That's going to be my problem. Every Christmas. <laughs> it was explained to Erswick by Maximilian's court that they didn't like England very much. Nope, they favoured Perkin Warbeck, actually. Yeah. And Erswick was dismissed. Get out. He was part of the negotiations that culminated in the Treaty of Etaples, that nice little nest egg for Henry and his cronies. Mm-hmm. He made a few more missions, including investing the eldest son of the King of Sicily with the Order of the Garter and extending the truce with Scotland. He was present at the meeting of Henry and Philip the Fair that we looked into in Lady Catherine Gordon's episode, that time when they hunkered down in a church for no apparent reason <laughs> and ate cherries and drank hippocrass. Oh, man. So he was there knocking back the hippocrass. And then his diplomatic missions end. 
And it may have been that he just had enough on his plate with all his ecclesiastical positions. It doesn't seem he was disgraced on any of these missions. Oh. He hasn't fallen out of favour? Doesn't well, seem to. We'd have a proclamation right. if he'd fallen out of favour. Yeah, no, there doesn't seem to be any sign. Huh. I think Henry probably knew what Maximilian's reply was going to be anyway, so I don't think he'd failed there. No, there was no way to win. And he continued to get more and more ecclesiastical preferments. Although he didn't want to be Bishop of Norwich for some reason, I don't know why. He was executor for Margaret Beaufort in 1513, which is odd given that she died in 1509, but maybe her, her affairs were very complicated, I don't know. She was still doing all of the schooling and churches, and that could take up to 12 to 15 years. Right. So the executors were required to remain executor until the entirety of the will was completed. Oh, blimey, that's quite a bit more of a chore than you probably thought you'd taken on, really, Yeah, isn't it? I got way more into it in the Paston letters because the big, I don't know, it's almost, it's almost 20 years where they're fighting over the executorship of another person that John Paston took on. It was, it was almost 20 years that they were still determining how to set up the school. So you don't, you don't close it off until it's completed. Mm. Well, he was like, it seemed odd. It was only it's put down to one particular year then for him. Mm-hmm. We spent much of the rest of his life in Hackney, now in London. And he became friends with Thomas More and Erasmus, which shows he must have been quite the intellectual heavyweight. Yeah. They didn't suffer fools gladly, I wouldn't think. <laughs> especially Thomas More, Erasmus sent him one of Lucian's dialogues and Erswick sent Erasmus a horse. Oh. So then Erasmus then sent him a copy of the New Testament in the hope of getting another horse because that one had died. <laughs> <laughs> but no such luck this time. I think Erswick said, oh, thank you very much. And that Aww. was it. <laughs> Erswick is also part of the refurbishing of St George's Chapel, Windsor, that we heard about in Bray's episode. And it's apparently full of carvings of hemp braise to show Reginald Bray's participation. Erswick's arms are just three red crosses. Oh. And his arms are also prominent in the chapel. So it's, I suppose it's like much easier to carve than hemp braise, I would yes. think. Yes, straight lines. Yes. And he usually added the letters M-I-A to his coat of arms. to Missing denote... in action. <laughs> <laughs> Misericordian or mercy. <laughs> And the chapel in the northwest corner there is called Erswick Chapel. Although this was taken over by the cenotaph of Princess Charlotte, wife of George III, or oh. Mrs King, if you've seen the film. Yes. One thing I found out about Erswick was that he didn't keep his opinions to himself. Okay. So what did Erswick think of Henry's new men, particularly Dudley and Empsom? Well, he called them, quote, opponents of ecclesiastical liberty, unquote. True. Yeah, and accused them of, quote, detestable rap rapacity. Rapacity? 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 Rapacity. Yeah, let's go with that. Detestable rapacity, nay, rather sacrilege, unquote. True. So he's not big fans of the Chuckle Brothers, old uh, Erswick. <laughs> and in 1504, Erswick was outspoken about his disgust at Wolsey's financial exploitation of the church. Or at least the church saw it as financial exploitation. Yes. I should imagine everybody else was thinking... We pay tax. We don't keep up a fuss. <laughs> Why don't you pay tax? <laughs> yes, you can afford it. Erswick went one step further than that and openly praised Thomas Becket's stand against Henry II. Ooh. 
And I tried to find out if there were any repercussions about this because we learnt in the Relics episode that Henry VIII was not terribly keen on Beckett. No. In fact, he had his bones burnt. Yes, because he was a traitor to the crown. Yeah. That's dangerous saying that with Henry VIII around. I would have thought so. We might find more information next season on that one. Erswick died on the 24th of March, 1521, or two, age 74. Or five. He was buried in Hackney, St Augustine's Church, that he was in the process of rebuilding. And in his will, he left six shillings and eightpence to, quote, the poor man that comes to me from Kentish Town, unquote. I love those little things because you think, what's the story behind that? Yeah. And three shillings and fourpence to the mother-in-law of one of his servants. And all legatees were asked to pray for his soul. He had two brass plates over his grave, which listed his 11 diplomatic missions, implying, I'm afraid that being rector of Putnam in Hertfordshire does not appear to be in the highlight of his life. <laughs> That's Sir Christopher Erswick. That was a good one. Quite a tiny nutshell. Yes, but I like it. Yeah. He, oh, talk about being brave. Putting forth the Thomas Beckett with Henry Brave, Edna. foolhardy, I'm not sure. Yeah, you can, You quickly went to his death next, so I'm not sure if there's a relation between the two. Uh, I'm assuming true. not, or he wouldn't have gotten such a good place to be buried. Well, unless he knew he was dying and thought, I'll get it in now. <laughs> <laughs> I like Thomas Beckett. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Cool. So... I can't think of anything else to say, so I'm just going to say goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) We must do something better than that. We really should. (laughs)